Well, good morning, everybody. I'm so glad you're here, and I'm looking forward to share this with you. It's been some time I've been reading this book, preparing, and I'm so excited about it because uh, the prescription of hope that God has for your life is powerful. It's for you right now. You're not here by accident. There's no mistake. Uh, God wants to say something to you through uh, beginning today and through the rest of this summer as we walk through one of the most powerful messages of deep soul encouragement that you've ever read. And it's, it's odd to me that most people have never read it. The book of First Peter is a small little book in the back of the New Testament that so many people have either passed over or they've never even spent any time reading. And it's odd to me because it was written by none other than the most popular of all of the disciples. Anytime you hear about Peter, he is listed first. He's the leader in every list. And he is none other than the leader of all the 12. And this is what he wrote. And it's going to be worth studying. And so I want you to take out your notes and take out the little sheet where you can write some stuff in. And I hope you'll keep these every single week because by the time we're done, you're going to have your own personal little commentary on the book of 1 Peter that's going to change your life forever. Now, as we get into this book, you might think that I would just start reading the first verse and start explaining it. But I found that when I don't know... Uh, who's sending me a message, I don't give it the same attention. If somebody sends me an email and I don't know who's uh, writing it to me and they're a stranger, it quickly goes to the junk mail uh, folder. If I get a text from somebody and I don't know who they are, I kind of ignore the message and I'm caught up, who is this texting me? I don't understand who's got my number and I miss the message. And many times when we're uh, trying to understand something that a stranger is telling us, there's so much that we miss. We don't know their heart, we don't know their motives, we don't know the intentions, and so we can't possibly understand and uh, what it is that they're really trying to say. And boy, I bet you that opens up a lot of miscommunication, uh, the potential for miscommunication, or even just ignoring what someone has to say when we don't know them. So I want to start off today by introducing you or reacquainting you with the man, with Peter himself. And uh, I want you to understand this person's heart because maybe if we understand who he is, his book will make more sense. So let's just pray together. Holy Spirit, will you take uh, complete control of my mouth, my heart, uh, my life? Uh, I offer this to you, and I pray that you will speak whatever you want to say to people. And today, we'll know that you'll have been here. Uh, come now, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me take you to the book of Mark, uh, the first chapter, and introduce you to Peter the first time that we've ever uh, will ever be introduced, the Gospel of Mark is the is the oldest of all of the Gospels. It's the earliest one, and in the very first few verses of his book, he accounts uh, to us how Jesus met Peter and how uh, he was called into being one of his disciples. Actually, his name wasn't even Peter to begin with. He had a different name. Peter uh, was the name that Jesus gave him later. But let's meet this man, Simon, the fisherman who would one day become a martyr for Jesus. Now, Mark chapter 1, verse 16. As he walked by the Sea of Galilee, Jesus saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. They couldn't possibly have understood what he meant. What do you mean, fishers of men? I don't get that. But they looked into the eyes of the man and they felt a presence of a man who would literally transform their lives. They don't they didn't know how, but they knew that he would. And the most powerful thing is in verse 18, immediately they left their nets 
and they followed him. And they didn't know what he meant, but they understood this message. You guys who call yourselves, you identify yourself as a fisherman, that's your profession, leave your nets and follow me, and a few years from now you won't even recognize yourself. They heard this call to adventure, they heard this great sense of uh, mission, they were desiring change, and Peter, uh, so impulsive, so ready to act, drops his nets and follows Jesus. And I just want to put that into our lives for a minute. What would it take for somebody to show up at your office tomorrow? (laughs) What would it take? I mean, some of you have careers. You've built them for years. You've got jobs and companies and you've got your own business or maybe you work for somebody or you just got a job. You're trying to impress the people you work for and in walks a person. They say one sentence to you and you drop everything and say, I'm done. I'm following them. What would it take for that to happen for you? This is the kind of person Peter was. He leaves the family business that he spent all these years developing, and uh, he goes to follow Jesus. What makes a man like that a leader that others would follow? It seems kind of irresponsible. But yet, Peter is called the first in every list. In Matthew chapter 10, it says, you know, Peter, the first, protos, not just the first in the list, but the leader, the chief. What is it that makes this man a leader? The first uh, idea that we see is in uh, Mark's gospel, just a few verses later in verse 29, where we find out that the group began to meet in his house originally. This is interesting, Mark chapter 1. Now as soon as they'd come out of the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew. This is Jesus and the other disciples. They, They met first at Peter's house. But Simon's wife's mother lay sick with a fever. So we know a little bit more that he's married probably has children. He has a mother-in-law. And uh, they're meeting in this house, and she gets sick, and Jesus heals her, and uh, they see the miracle. But we learn that Peter is a place, as a person of gravity, and people are coming towards him. Peter, uh, we learn not only is he the first, the leader, they met in his house, but we find out very quickly that he becomes the spokesman for the group. He's the one that starts to speak out on behalf of all of the others. Uh, When they didn't understand something, you find it's Peter that's taking the risk to ask the question. Matthew chapter 15, verse 15, Peter said to Jesus, explain the parable to us. Everybody else is nodding their heads like, oh, that's deep, that's good. They don't understand what he's talking about. And they say, Peter, ask him what it means. Hey, Jesus, what's it mean? We don't get it. Peter's the one just to, to say what's on everybody else's mind. He's not afraid to put himself out there. Matthew chapter 18, another time, they're all listening, they don't understand. Then Peter comes to him and says, Lord, how often do I have to forgive my brother who sins against me? How many times do I forgive him? Like seven times? Jesus is teaching everybody, but it's Peter who interrupts, raises his hand, and says what everybody's thinking. How many times am I supposed to forgive? And Jesus answers Peter, and consequently everybody else. Not just seven times, but as many times as necessary. Seventy times seven. Um, Matthew chapter 19, verse 27, then Peter says this to Jesus. Um, You know, it's an out there question. Most of us are way too pious and way too spiritual to ever say anything like this, even though we think it all the time. Listen, he says this. Peter says, we've given up everything to follow you. What are we going to get? <laughs> Most of us would never actually come out and, you know, pastor, you know, I'm good to serve and give a little. What am I going to get out of this? You know, nobody would ever say that, but nobody says that to Jesus. But Jesus is thinking the thing, you know, Jesus, the nets are rotting in the boats. We left our income stream. We walked away from our business. You're talking crazy. What are we supposed to get out of this? What, what are we going to get out of this in the end? 
and they're all worried, and he just says what they're thinking. Now, uh, not only did Peter have the questions, we find that people start to ask Peter questions. When they're afraid to go to Jesus, they come to him and say, hey, Peter, ask the Lord. So Matthew 17, verse 24, when people had questions about who Jesus was, they come to Jesus on their arrival in Capernaum. The collectors of the temple tax came to Peter and asked him, doesn't your teacher pay the temple tax? Why does your teacher think that he doesn't have to pay the taxes that everybody else does? And they go to Peter. So Peter takes their question, goes to Jesus. What do you want to do about this? Jesus says, we're under no obligation, but we're not going to offend. We're going to pay that tax. And here's how we're going to pay it. And don't miss the principle here, by the way, that whatever God guides, he's going to provide. If he tells you to do something, he's going to provide a way for it to happen. And so he sends uh, Peter back to, with the message. Look at Matthew 16, verse 13. It's on the screen. Take a look at one of the most famous Peter stories. Again, answering questions without fear. Um, when Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do you men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And some said, well, he's John the Baptist, and others are saying that he's Jeremiah, one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Now, my assistant Lucy is from Texas, and she would say this better than most of us. She would understand what Jesus is really saying there. He's saying, who do you all say that I am? That's really what he's saying. This is a plural you. Who do you all, all of you, and he's talking to the group, and there's Peter. Oh, oh, I know, I know, I know. Uh, what is uh, Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the Living God, Alex? You know, and he's quick to uh, to just give that response, you know, and he's buzzing in, and everybody else is just, you know, we're too insecure to to ask the question. How many of you guys are glad school is over? Some of you who just got out of school, and do you remember back in class? And there's somebody that's always like quick to answer the teacher's question every time, and every time, uh, you know, they, they ask the group a question, someone's just blurting out the answer, and then there's other people who are like, I'm not getting the answer wrong. I'm never saying anything. There's two kinds of people. Guess which one I was. <laughs> Listen, if I ever go on Jeopardy, I may not know the answer, but I'm buzzing in first. That's just, it's just the way I am. I can't help it. Well, Peter's kind of like that. He can't help it. Oh, I know. You know, and he just tells the answer, and this time he gets it right. And Jesus says, you're right. Uh, flesh and blood, human, humans, uh, human thinking didn't reveal this to you. This is actually from God. God has revealed to you that I truly am the Messiah. So look at, look at this. Uh, I say to you now that from now on you will be called Peter, which means the rock. And upon this rock I will build my church, and the powers of hell will not conquer it. Imagine a person like Peter, all impulsive, the guy who likes to be out front, have Jesus say, from now on we're calling you the rock. And he's like, I am the rock. Check me out, all you other disciples. I am the rock now, and uh, I'm going to define the way this works. And I don't know what happened, but he got overconfident. It went to his head. So many times somebody will give you a simple affirmation, and it's all, I am now the man. I am now, I am able to... I'm going to call the shots. After all, he's going to build the whole thing around me. I mean, of course, I'm the rock. And I don't know why, but he start this kind of thinking. I don't know if Jesus was so smart enough to like lead him into that because he knew Peter had to be broken. And he leads him into a path that would become a downward spiral for Peter now. And it leads into this really important series of events, which we have to understand if we're ever going to understand the letter that he wrote. He says, I'm the rock. He's emboldened. Matthew 16, verse 21, the story continues. From that time on, 
after he says this, Jesus also begins to say that he's going to be to Jerusalem. He's going to Jerusalem to suffer and at the hands of the chief priests, the scribes, the elders, he's going to suffer and be killed and raised from the dead on the third day. And Peter, he's not having that. He's like, Jesus, Jesus. And he takes Jesus aside. Look at what the scripture says. Peter takes Jesus aside and begins to rebuke Jesus. He's like 20 to 25 years old. And, you know, Jesus, I'm the rock. Let me talk to you here. And let me tell you how this is going to go. You're talking crazy. You're never going to, nothing like, I will never allow anything like that to happen to you. And there's no way that's going to happen. And, you know, here's that impulsive loyalty. I'm not sure if we wouldn't say the same thing when we were feeling good about ourselves. That's never going to happen. I'll make sure nothing's going to happen to you. And I'm the rock and all of that. And Jesus says, you know, get behind me, Satan. Calls him Satan. Get away. The way you're thinking is a dangerous trap for me. You're talking like the enemy right now. Why? Because you're seeing things from just a human point of view. See, all of you have a point of view on life, and it comes just impulsively out of the way you've been raised, the way you think, the way you've been trained, and all of us have this natural sort of impulsive reaction to the way things occur to us in life. And if we don't stop and check that and say, what does God really have to say about this situation? We'll just react impulsively, and that's what Peter was doing. Nothing's going to go on. You're not even looking at this the right way. You're going to miss the point. If, If you're a leader and you just go with your impulsive reactions and you don't ask God for what to do, if you don't pray, if you don't look for him, that means not only you're wrong, but everybody else following you is going to be led astray. And so... You know, this is when we get into deep trouble, when you see things only from your impulsive, normal human point of view, and you refuse to see it with the eyes of faith. And he says, Peter, you're way off course here. You're way off base with your thinking. Have you had that happen recently? A problem came your way, an opportunity came your way, and you chose just to look at it through the opinion of man through the assessment of man, through man's wisdom, man's counsel, never really sought out what God would say, not really looking at it from how might God view the situation, you just reacted or responded or just did what you thought. Peter, you're not thinking God's thoughts here, and you are way off base. And so Peter rebuked himself by the situation, is hurt now, and we begin to see the spiral happen. Luke, uh, Mark chapter 14 We're going to see the unhappy moment where Peter does something he doesn't even think is possible because he's not a failure kind of a guy. He's a, I'm going to make it happen kind of a person. And this is the darkest day of his life. Mark chapter 14, verse 27. They've had the last supper. They sang a hymn. They're on their way out to the garden. It's been a rough night. There's been some fighting. Jesus has been talking about death. They don't understand. They're tired. On the way, Jesus drops this bombshell. Tonight, All of you will desert me. The scriptures say God will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But I'll be raised from the dead. And um, after I'm raised from the dead, I will go ahead of you to Galilee and I'll meet you there. And Peter says what we would expect him to say. If all these other joker disciples desert you, I never will. (laughs) Now before we mock him too much, I mean we would say the exact same thing. You know, somebody you love and care about starts saying, you know, you guys are going to desert me. You'd be defending yourself. No, I'm not. I'm never going to desert you. I'll, I'll be loyal to you to the end. Trust me. I would never do that. But 
you see, we all do things that we never expect when we get tired and hungry and lonely and we feel like the world is shifting under our feet and, and we're praying prayers like, God, how could you allow this to happen? There's no telling what you might do. And look what happens here. Um, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, Peter. I know you believe what you're saying, but tonight, tonight, before the rooster crows in the morning, two times, you're going to deny me three times that you even know me. I will never deny you. This would be the most painful memory of Peter's life, and uh, though he denied that he would ever deny Jesus, he would begin to play out the very actions that very night. Take a look at this. And, and by the way, just some of you might write this in your notes, every leader will have a breaking point designed by God to introduce you to the right level of humility from which you can minister. And this is what Jesus is doing with Peter here. Jesus has now been arrested. He's taken to trial in the middle of the night. Peter is super tired. He's hurt. He's confused. He can't understand what's happening. God, why are you letting this happen? And he's in the courtyard. One of the servant girls who's working for the high priest where they're doing this, you know, sham trial, notice Peter warming himself at the fire. Now notice that. John's gospel is even more specific. John's gospel says that he's warming himself at a charcoal fire. That's important, and I'll come back to that in a minute. She looked at him closely and said, you're one of those with, that was with Jesus of Nazareth. And Peter, the guy we've been admiring all morning, he says, I don't even know what you're talking about. He denies him. And he goes out into the entryway, and just then the rooster crows, like shot over the bow number one. Like, and when the servant girl saw him standing there, she starts telling everybody else, yes, yes, this guy, he's definitely one of them. And Peter denies it again. And a little later, now all the bystanders are there, and some of them confront Peter and say, you, you got to be one of them. You're a Galilean. We can tell by the way you talk. You can't hide that Galilean, you know, slang. Like, like you guys know Ray Skillman is from the south side, right? Because you just, you just hear it when he does the commercial. That, that's, that's how you just know. Like, you're from Galilee. You're not. You're one of them. And... Um, Peter swore. He cursed. We don't know what he said, but it was not good. And he curses. And I don't know what you're talking about. And immediately, the rooster crows the second time. And suddenly, Jesus' words flash through his mind. Before it, the rooster crows twice. You'll deny you even knew me. And the sense of failure. I mean, just like Jesus predicted. And he broke down and he wept. Now, I don't know if you've had that kind of a failure in your life. But there are times in everybody's life, there is a moment that comes, if not many moments, where we feel like, I'm done forever. It's over. And maybe nobody here has done the exact same thing as, as Peter, but in many ways, we've all denied Jesus. We've all done the things we knew we shouldn't do, but we just went ahead and did it anyway because, you know, those thoughtless words we just said because we felt it, or maybe uh, the habit that we knew we should stop, but we just couldn't stop and we did, or maybe it was the relationship that we loved and we lost, or the family we're not a part of anymore, or the church that we used to go to, or whatever it was that it just didn't go the way that we wanted, and there's loss and there's failure, and we say, there's never going to be a place for me again like that. That's a terrible feeling, and we feel at that moment that it's over. But see, here's the amazing thing of this story. The amazing 
thing about the story of Peter is that it doesn't have to be over, that it's really not over, that it's really just a valley that God was taking Peter through for a purpose. The grace of the gospel is that Jesus saw the whole thing coming. And Peter, he saw Peter at his worst, and he saw his comeback on the other side. And I don't want you to look at this. Luke's gospel gives us this, these two extra verses in the story that just add so much richness to this narrative. Uh, Luke chapter 22, verse 31, Jesus is saying, you're going to deny me tonight three times? And then he says this, look, Simon, Simon, Satan himself, he's asked to sift, to crush you and the other disciples. Satan's after you. But I've pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, that not that you won't go through the trial. I've pleaded that your faith won't fail as you go through this trial. Wow, that's powerful. I'm not praying that you won't go through difficulty, but I'm praying for your faith. Because, look at this, so that when you have repented and when you've turned to me again, I'll have a mission for you to strengthen your brothers. Wow. I mean, he saw the failure. And he says to him, I'm praying for you because, you know, when you get on the other side of this and you repent, you come back, I've got a, a ministry for you to do. That's awesome. That's incredible. That is, that's, that's the heart of God. Uh, that's the perspective of God. That's not your human point of view, but that's God's perspective. You know what the book of Romans says Jesus is doing right now? Paul says, uh, Christ who was risen from the dead, he sits at the right hand of God interceding for us. That means he's praying for you. And you know what he's praying? He's praying, yeah, I know you're going to fail, but I'm allowing it to happen so that you'll come through on the other side like steel, and I've got a ministry for you on the other side. You need to go through this. And I'm praying that your faith won't fail. Look what happens. I mean, look at this. This plays out. It's not just I pulled this out. This is the story. Uh, Mark chapter 16, those visiting the tomb after Jesus' resurrection, they don't know where he is. He's gone. They're, what is happening? And the angel shows up and says a message, and it's so specific. Verse 6, the angel says, don't be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, but he's not here. He's risen. See the place where they laid him. Now go and tell his disciples, look at this, and Peter. Look at this. And Peter. Like the guy who right now is, feels like he's at his worst and he's, he's hopeless and he's embarrassed and he's filled with shame. Make sure you tell Peter to go meet me in Galilee. Make sure they get the message that he's supposed to come to Galilee because I'm going there. I'm going to meet you guys there. That's incredible. If that's not encouraging enough, in John chapter 1, John ends his gospel with this story that they actually did go to Galilee, but Peter is feeling horrible. He's like, I can't face him. So he goes back to fishing. I'm I'm not a follower anymore. I'm a fisherman. So he goes back, and he's fishing, and he's even a failure at that. It says that he fished through the whole night and caught nothing. Boy, there's nothing more discouraging than that. And... uh, and, and then uh, the next morning, in a deja vu moment, like from years before, a guy is walking along the beach and shouts out, hey, did you catch anything? No. Well, throw your nets out on the other side. And they're like, whoa, deja vu. And they threw it out on the other side, and they caught all this fish, and they're hauling it in, and their minds are being blown. And somebody yells out, it's the Lord. And Peter I mean, he has a Peter moment, like just what we've come to explain. Uh, verse 7, when, when Peter heard it was the Lord, he pulled his clothes back on because he took him off to work, and he dives into the water with all his clothes on, and he starts swimming to the shore. That's the old Peter again. That's impulsive. It's the Lord, and he's heading towards the Lord. Now, the others, they bring the boat, and they pull a loaded net to the shore because they were only 100 yards from shore, 
And now, now look at this. I don't want you to miss this. Verse 9. When they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them. This is Jesus. Fish cooking over a charcoal fire and some bread. Okay. Now listen to me. There's only two places in the whole Bible that the words charcoal fire are used. This place and what other place? When Peter is standing there denying the Lord. Now, they say this, that the sense of smell is most connected to memory than all of the other senses. Isn't it true you smell something and it just takes you back? I mean, when I grew up in the West Indies, they used to cook their food over these coal pots, these, these charcoal pots, right? And they have a unique, very acrid kind of a... The smoke is so different than a regular fire. It'll burn your eyes. It'll sting your nostrils. It is a strong, powerful smell. And there's nothing like it. When I smell that, I, I go back to my childhood like that. So here's Peter, all impulsive, swimming towards the shore. And it's the Lord, and he hits the shore, and the first thing he smells is a charcoal fire. He's face-to-face with Jesus, but he's face-to-face with his denial. Boom, just like that. And, you know, just like that first time he met Jesus when he saw the miracle with all those fish, and you know what his response to Jesus back then was? It's the same as right now. Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. Isn't that how you feel when you've let down your own standards, let alone that of God's, and you know it, and you're like, go away from me, Lord. I'm just a sinful person. What would you want to have anything to do with somebody like me? And Jesus ignores him and just serves him breakfast, and Peter chokes down the breakfast to the smell of a charcoal fire to where Jesus finally says to him, now, Peter, let me talk to you a second. Do you love me? More than these? Lord, you know that I love you. And he says, all right, well then take care of my lambs. Feed my lambs. And then Jesus repeats the question a second time. This is uh, verse 16. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know. (laughs) You know I love you then take care of my sheep. Do you see what Jesus is doing here? This is, this is, get back involved, Peter. I'm inviting you back into the game. You denied me three times. I'm going to ask you three times if you love me. And the third time is like painful to Peter. Lord, you, I mean, you know that I, you know all things. You know I love you. It's an invitation right here for a man who blew it to be restored. It's an invitation for a man who said, I am in desperate need of a second chance. And God says, I got one for you. I even saw in advance what was going on. I knew the failure you'd go through. And uh, there's some ministry that I have for you. Take care of my sheep. Strengthen your brothers. I want to use that failure to bless other people. In fact, you couldn't possibly be ready for ministry. As great of a leader as you were, you couldn't be ready until now. Now you're ready. There's going to a day come when, uh, you know, other people are going to lead you to where you don't want to go. You're going to die just like me, but are you ready to follow me now? And Peter said, yes, I am. And, you know, Peter became the leader that Jesus said. I mean, it's incredible. If you'd have asked Peter in the moment of his failure, he'd have said, no way. But you know that in the book of Acts, if we had time to go and read what happens next here, do you know that in Acts chapter 1, it's Peter who's, who's leading all the disciples. We've got to pick another apostle to replace Judas. In Acts chapter 2, it's Peter that steps up and speaks this incredible, the first message of the gospel, 
and, and he prays this prayer, and 3,000 people respond and are baptized that day because of the powerful message he gave. In Acts chapter 3, he walks up to the temple steps, and he heals a man who's paralyzed. It's incredible. He's the one that does that. In Acts chapter 4, they beat him, and they whip him, and the same people that killed Jesus, and he's standing up defying them, and he leads all the other disciples in this great, powerful prayer. God, we've heard their threats. Now give us boldness to keep on preaching your word. And, and he's now changed. Acts chapter 5, he has has the, the, the grim task of disciplining Ananias and Sapphira. Acts chapter 8, he handles the power grab by this guy Simon Magus. Acts chapter 10, this guy Cornelius who uh, was a Roman and we didn't have anything to do with those people and that race and, you know, them. And, and Peter is the one who steps across the line with the love of Jesus, presents the gospel to a Roman officer and him and his whole family. And it opens the door for the whole world. This Holy Spirit is for everybody. And it's Peter. And I think if you'd have told Peter in the moment of his dark night of the soul, if you'd have told him one day, Peter, because of what you went through, you're going to write a letter of encouragement that's so powerful that it's going to get included in the scripture. And Peter would have said, there's no way. It's not after what I've done. Yeah, Peter, you're going to be like one of the greatest, like all the great people who wrote in the book of life, the Bible. I mean, you are going to have something to say and we're going to include your words in, in Holy Scripture, not me. That's why when Peter writes this letter, you have to know all of this because when you open First Peter and it says, um, this letter is written by Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, Peter's just like, I can't even believe that I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ. And you would miss that because he's writing going, I'm Peter, no way, an apostle of Jesus and I'm writing to people uh, who are chosen by God. Let me tell you, I was, I'm writing to, to all of you who feel like you're foreigners, all of you who are on the inside, and then you felt like you were on the outside, and you feel completely scattered. You're like scattered aliens. This is Jews and Gentiles. All of you who are going through persecution and suffering and difficult times, and you failed, and there's people calling you intolerant and bigoted, He's going to write to, 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 to wives who have oppressive husbands, incredible words of encouragement in this book. He's going to write uh, to employees who feel like they have abusive bosses and they don't know what to do. He's going to write encouragement to you. He, he's going to write um, people who feel like they're living in a time when there is corrupt government and they, don't, and, and they feel like taking matters into their own hands. He's got something to say to us. He's got something to say about people who feel marginalized and discouraged and oppressed, and we can all go, well, I'm going to listen because Peter wrote it, because he knows what he's talking about. My bottom line here is that we just tend to focus on the failure. We do that about everybody, especially ourselves. We just want to remember the evil and forget all of the good. As far back as William Shakespeare, he wrote in Julius Caesar, Act 3, he said, the evil that men do is what outlives them. The good is often interred with their bones. That's exactly what we do. Like, focus on all the evil and forget all of the good. We have a hard time letting go of the messes we've made and what others have made, how quickly we forget the good and how quickly we don't see the greatness of a life that's been broken by God. And when you understand what Peter went through, Boy, can you start to understand this letter. When you start to read this, this book now uh, with your new eyes on, oh, I know who's writing, you're going to read it because you say, Peter cares about broken people. 
Peter cares about people who've had pain and hurt and problems. And we're not surprised that, of what he's saying. And, and he says this, to all of you who feel criticized, if you've ever fit, felt betrayed or unjustly lied about or left or you're alone, don't think it strange, he says, when these fiery trials come upon you because God's at work in it all. In fact, if I could take you to the very end of the book, listen to what Peter says, which would have meant nothing before, but listen to what it really means now that you know. Look at this verse, 1 Peter 5.10. He's saying this to somebody today. In, in his kindness, God called you. He called you by name to eternal glory by means of Jesus Christ. And after you've suffered just a little while, it's not going to be long, he will restore you. He will support you. He'll strengthen you. He'll put you back on a firm foundation. I know what I'm talking about because it happened to me. That's what he's saying. Isn't that incredible? I mean, who better could say that to us than somebody like Peter? Chuck Swindoll wrote three things that we should know about Peter. And I think this should be a foundation for us as we start to look what kind of man this is and who's writing to us. Here's the lessons. Write this down. Number one, failure in the past does not cancel God's plan for your future. That's a powerful lesson that we're going to learn. Failure in the past does not cancel God's purpose for your life. I mean, what else is forgiveness but a fresh start? What else is forgiveness but a chance to start over? The hardest part of this is to forgive yourself because some people would like to spend their whole lives beating themselves up for things that didn't go their way. It's kind of a selfish point of view, I think. But let me tell you something. If you'll just walk through the steps that Peter would have had to go through for him to be successful and for him to move on and have a, the life of impact he did, you know there was a day when Peter had to stand there and go, you know what? Okay, he saw me fail. He knew I was going to fail. I failed. And he saw my comeback on the other side. And he called me back into the game. Okay, I forgive myself and I'm moving on. I'm going to follow him. And that's what some of you need to do today. So failure is not the end. It's just the foundation. And then let me give you a second one. And it's this. It's that uh, a broken heart is great preparation for healing broken lives. You can't help anybody unless you've been through some things. I don't want somebody talking to me, uh, giving me advice, who's never been through the difficulties that I'm facing, right? It just comes off as hollow and empty, but a broken heart is great preparation for healing broken lives. Peter's qualified to talk to us. I mean, who's better to talk to you? Someone with experience with what you're struggling with? Somebody who has no experience. I mean, didn't, didn't last week when Pastor Jared talked about his dad and how his family all fell apart and how the brokenness and the pain they felt when his dad, the pastor, was sent to prison and he just shared that with us? I mean, pain is a powerful connector and everybody in this room went, oh man, I feel you. I, I, I understand what you're going through. When Steve Arterburn speaks, you know, and some of you guys, you look at all of his books and you look at how he speaks everywhere and he's kind of famous and he talks on the radio. Have you ever read his books? You realize how raw he gets in there and how he just lays out the pain of his life? That's why people listen to him because he's able to say, Here, here's what a broken heart shredded from divorce feels like and here's how you keep the faith when you go through on the other side. I can speak to you as one who's been through some things. You know, and sometimes I forget to tell you that myself. Because, I, you know, Paul said, you know, I don't boast in my weaknesses and I don't boast in my trials. But there were times when Paul would say, let me tell you some things I've been through. I, you know, I forget to tell you, I can speak to you as somebody who's been uh, assaulted, held at gunpoint, uh, beaten. 
I can talk to you about what it's like uh, to be rejected or unjustly criticized or abandoned or to be, uh, be spoken of against. I can talk to you about times when we didn't have enough and I couldn't turn the heat on. I'm watching my pregnant wife shiver, and I know I'm calling out to God, God, where are you, and how are you going to provide and keep your word? I can talk to you like Peter who would say, having gone through what I've been through, I have some things that I can share with you because here's the point. You're going to go through these things in life, but I want to call you back to the resources of your faith that your faith may not fail. I'm praying for you, and that's what the word of the Lord is. One last one, a third thing to remember that we can get from Peter's life is this, is that one letter of encouragement beats a thousand thoughts that are never expressed. And let me tell you, I'm so glad that Peter actually wrote, I mean, we don't just have his example. He wrote to us, now because I've been through these things, let me tell you how to deal with it. Let me tell you how to have perspective. It means so much. You're going to love this book of the Bible by the time we're done because it's going to speak to you. And I'm telling you, one word, one letter of encouragement. I mean, some of you, you look at people, you know what they're going through, and you're just like, man, I'm too busy, or I I should say this, or I'll pray for them. You need to write a letter to somebody. I mean, put your thoughts on paper and say, listen, I'm praying for you. Let me give you some perspective. Let me help you, and let me encourage you. You know, be careful about that. Don't preach stuff. Just tell them that you love them and share with them, like, here's what God's done in my life, and I'm lifting you up. Maybe somebody helped you or inspired you or encouraged you, made all the difference in your life. You never once wrote a note to say, you know what? You have made such a difference for me. Thank you. I want to encourage you back. One letter is so much more powerful than all the thoughts that are never expressed. I'm challenging you, and I'm challenged by Peter to write down my encouragement and pass it along. I'm so glad he did for us. Aren't you glad for the encouragement that Peter gives us already? Aren't you glad that it means a second chance? If God gave Peter a second chance, he's got a second chance for you. So let me wrap this up this morning by saying this. Regardless of your past, your problems, your difficulties, your feelings of betrayal or your feelings of discouragement, how you might have let yourself down, let alone God's standards. God saw all of that. He saw your failure. You didn't come here by accident today. God is telling you that I've got a fresh start, a new beginning. The same Savior that Peter denied died on the cross for your sin. He saw it in advance. He's not surprised by the sin of your life. And he says, come, follow me. And if you follow me for just a little while, I will change your life so much you won't even recognize yourself a few years from now. And that's the great hope of the gospel. Do you receive that this morning? All right. Let's pray together. You know, you're, you're in a church of people of the second chance. This is a church where everybody's welcome. I don't care what you've done, what you've gone through, what hurt you've experienced, what, who left, who's gone. Listen, you're in the right place with people who get it, and I'm glad you're here. Let me pray for you. Father, I'm grateful for the suffering of Peter. I'm I'm grateful that you suffered. We don't pray to you as someone who doesn't understand pain. So we're grateful to you, and today, Lord, I pray that you would meet the, the need of every person here, and maybe you just pray this prayer and respond to the Lord as as he's talked to you today. Just say, God, you know what I've done. You know my life. You know my mistakes. You know how bad I felt. Uh, 
but today, Lord, I'm just going to declare in faith somehow that you saw all that in advance and you still love me. And uh, today I ask you forgiveness. I'm sorry. Uh, help me to forgive myself. I want to walk forward with you and follow you now. And Lord, I pray for every person who's saying, yes, God, that's me. Would you give them that spark of the adventure you're about to take them on? Give them hope. Give them a prescription of hope today that their lives will never be the same, that they can follow you and you can turn disaster into a great uh, ministry for them in the future. Lord, I pray that we'd all have faith today in you through your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.